Well, good afternoon, everyone. This is, uh, oh, thanks, Daryl. I just heard myself. This is a unique opportunity for a person. Not that it's comfortable by any means. I mean, the, the chair in the back is very comfortable. Uh, but a unique opportunity as in the 20 years that I've been saved, I have never grown in my Christianity in comfort. And it's always best to step above your, out of your comfort zone a little and get it a little farther into the deeper water, you might say. And in, in my experience, it helps you grow. Now, as I have um, wrote what I did today, uh, when I study and look in the Word of God, I don't... I don't judge the heart. I cannot judge the heart of any man. I write it to me. It is my challenge. It is my heart that I write to. So if you would turn to Mark, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10. Just to give you a heads up so you can get there. But before we get started, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, we thank you so much for the loving God that you are and just ask that you would work today in this place and work through a sinful man like myself, that you would give me the words to speak, that I could be a help to the brothers and sisters in Christ here at Bible Baptist. And we know that it is in your power that we can only do that. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've noticed, I'm not techie. I am of the generation of pen and paper. <laughs> so we like it. We use it to provide for the necessities of life. It's an avenue for luxury. It often influences our morals, our health, our respect, our friendships, and our relationships, and our love. We seem to live in a world today that is impassioned with greed for wealth and possessions. We like our money, and I am no different. So today we're going to look at the parable in which they entitled the rich young ruler. And we will be in Mark 10, 17 through 31. And in, when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and thy mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these things, all these I have observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, one thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatever thou hast, 
Give to the poor, thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at the saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about, and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and saith unto him, Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive a hundredfold now, and in this time, now in this time, houses, and brethren, sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecution, and in the world to come, eternal life. For many that are first shall be last, and the last first. So we call it the the parable of the rich young ruler, but in Mark here it doesn't tell us that he is a ruler or young. We find that he is young in Matthew 19, and in Luke 18 he tells us that he's a ruler, and probably a ruler in the synagogue. The young man came to the young man came running to Jesus, which is an indication of humility, laying aside his dignity as a ruler. It showed an urgency to be in conversation with Christ. He came to Jesus when he had gone forth into the way. So he was traveling with his disciples, he was in midst of company. He was not ashamed of seeking advice from Christ in company unlike Nicodemus who came to him at night in secret. He kneeled to Jesus as a sign of respect and value, even a sign of obedience as one would bow to a king. His address to Christ was serious and significant. What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? He was serious. This young man's intentions were good, He was doing all the right things. He addresses Jesus as good master. Hence the response from Jesus. Why thou callest me good? There is none good but one, that is God. And we see in Zechariah 14.9, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day. Shall there be one Lord? And his name is one. And this young man, being a ruler in the synagogue, should know the Old Testament. 
Did, did this young man indeed look on Jesus as God? Or, we all know in this day and age, and I don't think there's anything new under the sun, as Solomon told us, was he trying to, uh, I call it, schmooze up to him a bit to get the right answer? We've all seen it. So Jesus uses the commandments to start the young man on a path of self-reflection in his own heart. But notice Jesus uses the commandments in the second table first. It has to do with our relationship horizontally. It's our relationship with our fellow man. So he confronts them, he, he, he confronts him with them first. And the young man, all these things I have observed from my youth. But notice his first question to Christ was, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Is his focus on his work. Jesus had a kindness for him. He loved him. Beholding him, he loved him. Jesus loves all. Jesus' desire is that all would seek after him. Romans 5, 8 tells us that Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. On the cross, he reached out to us in love. He loved us first. But does the young man indeed have his heart set upon it? So in verse 21, Jesus puts him to the test revealing the young man to the young man the truth in his own heart. That his heart was set upon his possessions. Hence revealing commandment one and two. His possessions were his God. Thou shalt not, that sh thou shalt have no other God before me. Commandment two, his idol. Thou, sh thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. It was his vertical relationship that the, was the problem. He was unable to give up his worldly possessions for Christ and went away sad. What a sad picture you think about it. You know the right thing to do. You know how to fix it but you're so engraved in your possessions or your idol that you can't do it. And you think of the sadness in the young man, but think of the sadness in Christ as he watches them walk away. Matthew 6, 24 tells us, no man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and, des and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus did not take off the harshness of it. He knows the heart of all. He knows my heart better than I do. Christ will keep no person against their will. Therefore, we do not find that Christ called this young man back. We hope that his experience with Christ 
We don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us, but we hope his experience with Christ and that interaction would work on his heart and maybe in time to come he would be, but we don't know that. But Christ took the occasion to instruct his disciples. The difficulty for those who have abundance in this world, the wealthy have many temptations to grapple with and many difficulties to get over which do not lie in the way of the poor. If we notice in verse 24, as he tells them again, he added two words. He uses the word children because of the disciples need to be taught. He refers to them as children, as young, of their immaturity in the faith because their walk with Jesus is just nicely going. They have a lot to learn. And we will learn until the day we go home. The big one is the danger is not in the riches. It's in the trusting of the riches. Expecting our protection, our provision, and our portion. We are saying to our riches, our wealth, which we only should say to our God, thou art my hope. That said, the poor still have idols to contend with. Uh, the only idol, the, really, the, the affluence idol, the possession idol, they don't have to, but it is a huge one. It is a huge one. Now, the Jewish teaching, and this is something I've learned in my studies and didn't realize, but the Jewish teaching generally taught that the Spirit of God chose to reside in rich men, for they had much more opportunity to do good. Again, it's in the works, and that's what they reflected on. Because you had more wealth, you could give more. So you were closer to God. So when Jesus said what he did in verse 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, they were astonished out of measure. They had, they just, it baffled them. And I believe he said what he did in 25 because you can't put a camel through the eye of a needle. But he wanted them to realize it is impossible. It is impossible for them in their own strength. With men, it is impossible. Romans 8, 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither can be. Enmity is hostile. We are hostile. The carnal man is hostile against the word of God. Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Our sin nature. Our sin nature, it's, it's our stumbling block. And, and sometimes we, we kind of lose track of that. But now that I'm a, a new grandfather, <laughs> you know, for a little bit, it reminds you, it reassures you 
these little bundles of joy that we love, now that they're getting older, are born with the same nature that Grandpa was born with. Because as cute as they are, it, they just gravitate to the wrong thing. I'm doing a project. Skill saw Austin loves being with me. You cut some wood, you go to do some measuring. And of course, I cut the power because what's the first thing he goes to when you tell him not to? He's heading for the skill saw. He's only four years old. And then uh, Annabelle, well, she's two, so that explains it all in a nutshell there. <laughs> but do they, still, uh, do, do they still put the Muppets on TV? Anybody know with kids? <laughs> well, that cute little blue-eyed girl, if you wrong her, Miss Piggy's coming out. <laughs> She's got an attitude. But it's because she takes after everybody else. We're born in our sin nature, which makes it, uh, it impossible. So with God, everything is possible. John 3, 7, we must be born again. Ye must be born again. John 3, 5, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And back in the Old Testament, Ezekiel, again, if the young man was a ruler, he should know these verses. So Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, then I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for, the, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, it says also in verse 9, lest any man boast. So we can't boast of it ourselves. Here's a quote. A gentleman's name, Sinclair Ferguson. Uh, I have a uh, tendency to go for the old Scotchman since all my heritage is Scotch. So, But anyway, he says, only when he, God, gives us new hearts to abandon everything for Christ Will, be the, will we be free from our personal forms of idolatry and yield to the, the principles of the divine kingdom? So as we move on, of course, the disciples, talking amongst themselves as they usually do, and then Peter speaks out looking for some assurance. Peter's always the first to talk. He began to say, we have left all to follow thee. Christ assures them, if anyone leaves all for the sake of the gospel, they will be looked after. We see the valued physical things of life that 
that, that Jesus lists off to them. So, of course, their house, it's our place of habitat, it's our warmth, it's our home. Lands, it's a means of supplying for our necessities of life. I know now everybody goes to the grocery store, but back in those times, they had, it was, I believe they had a closer connection to the land. But still, even though we go to the grocery store, it's still our necessities. Our loved ones, close relations, wife, children, father, mother, brother, sister. Family is family. Uh, I've seen dis different incidents in my family where there's been problems. If you have problems in life, chances are your family is the one that's going to help you out. So we don't, we don't leave our family. We don't stop loving them. We don't stop loving our families as we accept Christ. But I think here, when he talks about leaving them, I think a good example would be the Islam faith. If you have ever heard a testimony of a, a, a person that has come out of the Islam faith into Christianity, it's their family that stops loving them. When, when you leave a faith like that, they will disown you. You're cut out of all inheritance and even have had their lives threatened for the sake of leaving. Hence, going back, the carnal mind is that hostile to God. And that's what happens. As Christians, we are told to love our families. We don't stop loving our families because we accept Christ. It's the other way around is what happens. The advantages will be great, Jesus tells them. One will have communion with the saints, houses, family, brothers, sisters. He will have family in Christ. Title to eternal life and our relationship with Christ. First Timothy 6, 6 through 8 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Philippians 4, 11 through 13, Not that I speak in respect of what, of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to, be, how to abound. Everywhere, everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I think Matthew Henry sums it up in just this little short kind of blurb. Suffering Christians shall have a hundredfold in the comforts of the Spirit, sweetening their creature comforts. Just because he tells us we're going to have a hundredfold, if I have one house, I'm not going to have a hundred houses. He could give it to me if I want. But it's the contentment that Christ will give your heart when you reside in him. It's spiritual. Because notice persecution is added here. 
John 15, 20 tells us that a servant is no greater than his Lord. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you, he tells us. 1 Peter 4, 13, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. The way we bear the persecution of suffering laid upon us is by the power of him who bears all suffering on the cross. So in verse 31, pretty straightforward, right? You know, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. We see it, pretty straightforward. But another interesting tidbit. Just back in Mark 9, the disciples are arguing amongst themselves who would be the greatest, right? So here's a quote from Charles Cranfield. The apostles must not become self-complacent because unlike the rich man, they have left all to follow Jesus. Such self-complacency would be highly dangerous. Moreover, one who is at present a refuser may in the future by God's mercy accept the call, even in the age to come be preferred to them. While their having left all is not in itself a guarantee that they will remain faithful. After all, Judas was one of the 12. Paul was not. So we need to be, be careful of complacency. And again, just because we're poor doesn't mean we don't have idols. But our wealth is a huge idol to conquer. Because as I've studied, the one verse, well, more than one verse, but in Revelations 3, and I think I'll start in 15 through 19, the church of Laodicea, we're in the church of the last age. What does he warn us about? Let me read it. I know thy works, thou art neither hot nor, or sorry, neither cold nor hot. I would thou were, I would thou wert hot or cold. So then, because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. He's talking about the church of the last age. We live in a very affluent time. I enjoy it as much as the next person. I love my comforts. But I know I've 
over the last several years, my view has changed somewhat. I, I think when you get older, you realize, and I know there's older folks in the audience, but I won't pump them out. Um, when you get older, you realize yeah, there's a lot more time behind you than there is ahead of you. And what am I doing? What am I doing? So here's a question, and I'm going to leave you with it, that I've asked myself many times. Could I find it in my own heart to go through the hardest and costliest service as a follower of Christ and depend upon him for the recompense or restitution in heaven? Am I looking for eternity? Is that my only focus? Anyway, I will leave it at that. Pastor? I'm going to ask uh, heads bowed and eyes closed, please. Let's have a word of prayer about this. Father, thank you so much for the message. Very clear opportunity for us to make a decision. Father, what we're going to do with our lives. Truthfully, we have so much. There would be many who would probably say that we have left some things behind in order to follow Jesus. But, Father, have we become self-complacent? Have we just focused on that one decision we made years ago and become lukewarm. And Father, I pray that as we delve deep into our lives and look and see and be honest with ourselves, I pray that you would help us to see the areas in which we're flawed. And Father, you'd give us passion to pursue you more, become red hot for you again. Father, we'll pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.